Pachango. Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of the Tangentially Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Ryan, and today we're diving deep into the human experience, exploring the twists and turns of our wild and wonderful journey on this planet. Now, as you know, here on Tangentially Speaking, we're all about pushing boundaries, challenging assumptions, and questioning the status quo. So if you're looking for a comfortable echo chamber... This might not be the podcast for you, but if you're ready to stretch your mind and explore the outer reaches of human consciousness, then stick around because we're about to embark on an epic adventure. Whether we're talking to a world-renowned scientist and intrepid explorer, or just a regular person with a fascinating story to tell, our goal is always the same, to shine a light on the hidden corners of our human experience and uncover the truths that connect us all. So strap in. Buckle up or do whatever it is you do to get ready for an adventure because we're about to take off. This is Tangentially Speaking, and I'm your guide, Christopher Ryan. Let's go. Did that sound a little weird to you? So here's what happened. I got an email a couple hours ago from a guy named Jeff Taylor. And he said, hey, Chris, I've been playing a lot with this new AI shit, artificial intelligence, and thought you'd find this attempt at a Chris Ryan podcast intro to be interesting. So apparently, if you ask ChatGPT, here, let me open this again. Yeah, his instruction was write a podcast introduction in the style of Christopher Ryan. And that's what ChatGPT spat back at him. So that was not me. I mean, it was me. It was me reading it. This is me. This is the real me. Pretty soon there's going to have to be like some kind of uh, prove you're not a computer thing for everything. You know, one of those like click on the boxes that show a motorcycle and we're all going to have to do that for every goddamn interaction. I mean, my voice is out there, obviously, even my fucked up voice of today. And uh, what's to stop somebody from sampling my voice, putting it together and calling my mother in my voice saying, Mom, please, I'm in jail or I'm in Honduras or I'm wherever the fuck I am. I need money. That's happening already. That weird shit is already happening, and now it's going to happen with video, it's going to happen photos, it's going to happen with everything. I don't know what the fuck is going on. This is a very strange time to be alive, ladies and gentlemen. All right, but really, this is the real me now. But is it the real me, or is this the me that I show to you? Is this the podcast me? Is this the me with a microphone in front of my face me? What is the real me? God damn, I don't know. Um, What I do know is that I keep looking for it. 
And I feel like I keep edging closer to it. And I think whatever wise person it was who said that the point of life is to become ever more like yourself was on to something. I'm paraphrasing that. I don't remember who said it or exactly how they worded it, but that was the idea. The idea is that you are born you. And probably as an infant, you're pretty, you're pretty much you. Uh, at least you in terms of the the screen upon which the events of your life will be projected. And then things happen and, you know, you're told to sleep alone in a dark room and cry it out. You're told to eat when you wake up and at lunchtime and at dinner time, whether you're hungry or not. You're told not to piss when you need to piss. You have to wait until there's a time to go take a piss. You you can't take a shit when you need to take a shit. You have to wait. You have to do this. You have to do that. You can't respond to your body. You can't respond to your impulses. When you want to get up and run and play, you have to sit still and shut up. When you want to tell a girl you love her, you have to shut up and not make a fool of yourself. When you want to go travel the world, you have to shut up and get a fucking job and dig your way out of debt. Your whole fucking life is constraining you from being you. And so I think the idea was that the first part of life is education, in air quotes. And uh, and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to recover from that education. I love Pink Floyd. We don't need no education. I think we do need education. I think we certainly need to learn to live in the world as it is. The problem is that the world as it is doesn't want us to be who we are. And so it's this razor's edge balancing act between trying to live in the world as it is and trying to be who we are. And man, it's hard to find a little gap where you can get away with that shit. But that's what we're all doing, right? That's what we're all looking for is that gap, is that blank spot on the map where we can still get away with being who we are. Yeah. So this is Aroma, as I think I mentioned. I am alone for the first time in I can't remember how long. Uh, There are lots of people coming and going in this tiny little house, so it's kind of rare than I'm in here by myself. So I'm taking advantage of that. It's a Tuesday evening, six o'clock, Crestone, Colorado. I've got some really fun uh, podcast interview um, sessions lined up. I'm going to be speaking with a woman named Robin Blankenship, who lives here in Crestone. She's sort of a a Crestone... uh, uh, star, a local star. She's been teaching survival skills classes here for, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years, something like that. Uh, she's very well known in that world. Um, so she and I have been in touch. I'm going to, I'm going to chat with her soon. And, um, I'm interviewing a guy named Alex Papadamas tomorrow. Um, that's going to be, a a remote interview, but I'm still really excited about it. He's a a writer, a really good writer, um, who's just written a book called Quantum Criminals, 
ramblers, wild gamblers, and other soul survivors from the songs of Steely Dan, uh, which Steely Dan has been my favorite band probably forever. Um, and this book is incredible. It's not out yet. It comes out May 23rd, but it's a really, really well-written book. Very interesting the way it's conceived. And his writing is just off the charts. Really good. Uh, let me just, I don't even have anything planned here. Let me just swing through it until I see some highlighted text. And I'll read that and we'll see. I hope it's a good one. Uh, that's very, that's a small one. Let's see, what's this? Yeah. So he's talking about Steely Dan's lyricism. Um, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker are the two guys behind Steely Dan, if you're not aware of that. He says, Donald and Walter would get better at imagining the inner lives for their characters. Before long, they'd arguably be better at that than Dylan himself, whose characters never seem like anything except shadows in the firelit cave of Bob's brain. Does that make Steely Dan better than Bob Dylan? It's an absurd question, but when I think of how many times I've opted for one over the other, I know what my actual answer is, even if I'm not prepared to argue it's the right one. <laughs> that is good. Good writing, like just fucking really gets to me. Uh, here's another one. But even in the songs that didn't openly invoke visions of world destruction that had shadowed their youth, Donald and Walter seemed to be writing about a different kind of apocalypse, a world where the apocalypse had in some spiritual or interpersonal, if not global way, already happened, erasing all forms of human obligation and all standards of behavior, just like an actual apocalypse would. Their characters are paranoid, sequestered survivors, sealed off from each other in bunkers of the soul, or their showbiz kids and sisters of Babylon losing themselves to indulgence as if there's no future. Man, anyway, Quantum Criminals. It's coming out in a couple of weeks, uh, 21 days. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation. And then another one strangely enough, is Moby. Uh, Moby, as most of you probably know, is a very well-known musician. Um, and uh, his publicist reached out and asked me if I'd have Moby on the podcast. I guess Moby is starting a podcast, so he wants to get the word out. And for some reason, they thought I might be a good way to do that. So I'm going to be talking with Moby sometime a couple of weeks from now. So that'll be interesting. If you have any questions for Moby or you have any questions about Steely Dan or you have any questions about survival skills that you think I should ask any of these people, uh, let me know. Drop me a line. That Chris Ryan at gmail.com. So um, because I was not talking to myself uh, as I walked around doing the things I was doing before getting on the mic here, I didn't realize that my voice was kind of fucked up. <clears throat> so I apologize for that. But now I'm 10 minutes into it. I might as well keep going, I guess. So, all right. First thing I want to do is I want to shout out to everybody. 
who reached out to me after that last Roma where I was kind of like, I don't know, I kind of feel like eh, maybe this has run its course and I'm not sure I want to keep doing this and griping about this and that. Um, you know, I, I don't do that kind of thing to elicit any particular response. I just try to be as open and transparent with you as I can be. Um, but the truth is that when I express some vulnerability and, um, and, you know, any kind of, of turmoil, a lot of really kind and beautiful people reach out to me and say kind and beautiful things. And, um, I just want you to know, I really appreciate that. It's, you know, I'm not going to go off on that whole loop about how, you know, like, oh, I don't deserve it. Or, you know, I don't understand why. Um, although that's all true, but you know, that's true. Um, but just so many, it's, it's just like, it's a weird thing. It's, it's like, I know you're real. It's not artificial intelligence. You're real people. Um, but most of you, I don't know, and I probably never will know. And yet you send me love and you send me kindness and compassion. And, and I feel like I'm getting a big group hug. It's fucking awesome. And it makes me wish that everybody had that in their lives. Um, I'm very lucky and, and I feel very lucky, uh, in many times, in many situations, but that's a big one, honestly. Um, who gets who gets that kind of feedback, um, heartfelt, thoughtful feedback from strangers. It's so strange and so wonderful. And I wish there was a way for me to spread that around more than I do. Um, well, I guess here's a way to spread it around. Why don't I play some of these intro snips? I, I mean, Again, not to be like, oh, I'm sorry, but uh, a lot of these are a year, two, three years old. Because when I started doing it, I got hundreds and hundreds of them. Way more than I could possibly play. Um, and now I, you know, I might get two or three a week or something, um, which is which is great. Um, but the problem is, you know, I would, I, I filed them away and forgot about them. And, and I would go back to it and then I feel bad. Like, oh my God, this is from two years ago. I feel really like a shithead for not having played this, but there just isn't, the, you know, I would have to do just podcasts of nothing but snippets in order to catch up. So please forgive me if I haven't played yours or if I do play yours and it's two or three years after he said it to me. So um, I'm trying, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, so here's one from Jamie in Fresno. And I must say another problem with this system is I go through so many computers. I've got a desktop, I got a laptop, I've changed the laptop, I gave my other one to my sister. And, you know, it's just like there's this laptop churn going on. And, and um, so there may be I may play one that I've already played. It's <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, so you may listen to a guy, did he play that a year ago? Or if it's you, you'll be like, dude, you already played that. Um, so <laughs> I apologize. Th this is definitely handcrafted. All right. Like you see that shit all the time, you know, handcrafted, small batch. Um, this pod podcast is handcrafted. I got two hands and it's just me. And as you can see, organization is not exactly my forte. So anyway, here's, uh, I'm going to play 
Jamie in Fresno. Hi, Chris. This is Jamie Me Kelly from Fresno, California, and I'm calling you from Red Rock Canyon. It's the beginning of February 2022 and not sure what it's going to look like going into another pandemic year. But I'm calling you from this beautiful canyon. Um, it's not the famous one in Nevada, but it's the lesser known Red Rock Canyon in California, just north of Mojave. A little first come, first serve type place, doesn't take reservations, and it is just an amazing day. The weather's great. There are cool people in the campground. One of them was even kind enough to wake me up this morning with a drone flying over my campsite. So I guess they wanted to make sure I didn't sleep in and miss the beautiful day, which is kind of strange. I've gotten used to kids riding bikes, kids yelling, people using the restroom at all hours of the night. I guess I'm going to have to get used to, to drones flying overhead in the campground, but... Anyway, I always thought that if I sent you and fellow listeners a message, it would be from some amazing place like Machu Picchu, Tikal, Varanasi, not some place a few hours away from Fresno. But I have to tell you, waking up this morning, it's tough to think of a more amazing place than this tiny little canyon that is essentially right in my own backyard. Hey, Chris. Hey, tangentially speaking listeners. This is Augie. Me and my wife are here in the beautiful city of Cusco, Peru. We're actually on top of the uh, ancient site of Saxe Huaman right now, just having our minds completely blown. Um, if you ever get a chance, check this place out, man. Well, I'm sure you've probably already been here, but anyways, just wanted to call in and say love the podcast. Can't wait for Civilized Death to come out. Keep up the great work, man. Thanks. Hey, Chris and fellow tangentialists. My name's Alex from Australia, and uh, I just wanted to say there's one thing that Chris said uh, off the cuff on a podcast years ago, and that was jump and build your parachute on the way down, or build your landing on the way down, and uh, it changed my life. I started traveling, sold my stuff, jumped in my little car, and it's been five years since. Been a tour guide, fed crocodiles, seen whales, and now I'm currently just outside of Huesca in Spain and finally made it to Europe. So if you're thinking about it and you want to go, just make the jump. It's worth it. You'll find a way to make it work. You'll put things together and it's going to be amazing. I told you some of these were old. <laughs> that guy's, I can't wait for a civilized to death to come out. <laughs> yeah, me either, man. Uh, thank you, Jamie, Alex, and I didn't get the name of the people in, in uh, Peru. I've never been to Peru, so no, I have not been to that place. I have been to Huesca, Alex, if you're still listening to the podcast. Uh, I had one of the most beautiful days of my life in Huesca in a little town called San Juan de Plan um, with my friend Marcos. He when I first moved to Barcelona in 89, either the fall of 89 or the spring of 1990, he took me up there to go hiking. And it's just spectacular, Pyrenees Valley. Um, and it, it was just a lovely day, just perfect, sunny, warm, but not too hot. And Marcos is a mountain goat. That dude climbs and climbs and climbs. He lived in Peru for years, in fact. 
Marcos was one of my closest friends for years when I first got to Spain. Yeah, I should tell the story of Marcos sometime. Holy cow, I met him in Mexico in a on the roof of a abandoned Spanish cathedral in the Barranca del Cobre. Holy shit, yeah, Marcos. Anyway, that's that's for another time. But <clears throat> Marcos took me up there to go hiking and he wanted to climb up to the top of this mountain. And I had some wine and some uh, sausage and some cheese and uh, some water in my backpack. And I climbed with him for a while. And then we came to the spot where we were crossing a stream and there were like waterfalls and pools. And, you know, we were up high enough that you could see out over the valley. And I just said, Marcos, dude, are you coming back down the same way you go up? He said, yeah. I said, well, I'll be here. You just you have a good climb. I will be just hanging out right around here somewhere. And he took off and went up the mountain and I spent the afternoon sitting by that stream, reading, swimming in the water, or not swimming, but dipping in the water and enjoying some Spanish wine and just kind of like feeling like I was living my life. And uh, and that was Huesca. It's fantastic. San Juan de Plan. Anyway, um, so I wanted to talk about a few things. I just posted... Um, the sort of, what's it called? The open, open chat thing. I forget what, there's a word for it, um, on Substack where everyone can kind of, uh, engage in conversation and it's a feature for, um, paying subscribers. And when I do it, I often sort of ask a question to get the ball rolling, but it's an open thread. That's what it's called. Open thread where, where you can talk about whatever you want and, and just sort of, it's kind of like a meetup, a virtual meetup space uh, for listeners. And this month, what I asked people was, what do you think about artificial intelligence? Because it's in the news a lot recently. And some people like Freddie DeBoer, who uh, I read regularly, dismiss it as just another, another, you know, hype, another y2k or you know whatever bullshit that everyone's freaking out about that ends up being uh nothing um but a lot of people who are involved with it it just occurred to me that a lot of you don't know what y2k is that's scary that's crazy y2k was this big freak out that happened in 1999 because a lot of people were saying that when computers were invented uh, they weren't really thinking that far ahead. And so the calendar logarithms in the computers didn't incorporate the year 2000. Everything was 19xx. And um, so that when it became the year 2000, nuclear plants were going to melt down and airplanes were going to fall from the sky and dams were going to back up or burst. And, you know, it was going to be Armageddon. And then, of course, midnight came and nothing really happened. Uh, so that's what Y2K is, year 2000, Y2K. Um, but I read, you know, I watched a couple interviews. I saw just yesterday or the day before kind of the godfather of artificial intelligence who was working at Google quit uh, because he feels that the work he's done on, on artificial intelligence has put humanity in danger and he can't in good conscience continue to contribute his efforts to this. And this is some super genius mathematician. 
who won the Turing Prize, which is like the Nobel of mathematics. Uh, so there are serious people who are concerned about this. This isn't just, you know, a bunch of like Mayan calendar people. This is uh, serious scientists who know what they're talking about on this subject. And uh, I read a, a survey was uh, conducted with people who work on artificial intelligence and I think it was, I might be getting the numbers wrong, but I think it was 10% of them thought there was a better than 50% chance that artificial intelligence would eradicate human life. Or maybe it was all life on the planet. Uh, yeah, one in 10. One in 10. I mean, if you had a, a revolver with 10 chambers and you put one bullet in and spun it and closed it and pointed it at your temple, you'd be pretty fucking nervous, wouldn't you? One in 10? Uh, in exchange for what? What do we get in exchange for this? Uh, we can talk to our computers more fluidly. The computers will talk back. Um, they'll develop podcast intros more or less in the style of some podcaster. I, I don't know what... What do we get back? Because these technical, these technological innovations, they're always sold to us as it's going to make our lives so much better. It's going to save us so much time. Oh, you're going to have so much leisure time. When we incorporate this new technology, you're going to thank us. It's, we're going to solve everything. We're going to cure cancer. You're going to just sit around and robots are going to jerk you off and bring you cheese sandwiches. It's going to be amazing. But I've been alive long enough now to see that that shit never fucking happens. It never comes. It's always just around the corner. It's the biggest fucking corner in the world. Everything is always just around it. Meanwhile, who actually benefits from this shit are the extremely wealthy who own manufacturing facilities that use robots they're the owners of the fucking grocery store that don't have to pay clerks anymore because you do the self-checkout line, right? They're the, the owners of the toll roads that you just drive through and some computer reads some transmitter in your car and collects the toll so nobody has to sit there and give you change for your dollar bill. They're the ones who benefit. We don't benefit. How do we benefit? Those toll takers and checkout people, and they lose their jobs. And is, you know, where's the universal basic income for them? Where, where are they sitting around getting jerked off and eating cheese sandwiches? It's not happening. It never happens. So, yes, it increases worker productivity. Fewer people can create, produce more products. But that doesn't mean that the people who are no longer employed doing those things are sitting pretty. They're sitting in the street. They're sitting, they're living in their cars. And to tell you how long this bait and switch bullshit's been going on with new technology, um, I quoted from an essay by the famous economist John Maynard Keyes, um, where he was imagining what life would be like in the year 2028. And he wrote this in 1928. So this is roughly 100 years ago. And it's the essay is called Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. 
He predicted that things would be so good that no one would even need to worry about making money. The principal problem people would face would be figuring out what to do with their overwhelming amount of free time. Quote, for the first time since his creation, man will be faced with his real, his permanent problem, Keynes wrote, how to use his freedom from pressing economic cares, how to occupy the leisure, which science and compound interest will have won. Well, they haven't. They haven't won leisure for everyone, the common man. The common man, at least the common American, is working harder and longer than he was 100 years ago. So I don't really know where this is going, but I know that it's very unlikely that where it's going is some kind of utopia for the common man. I just don't see that happening. I agree that robotics and artificial intelligence create enormous wealth by increasing productivity. But I don't agree that we as a species have found a way to distribute wealth in a manner that's equitable and rational. Some countries are much closer to it than America. America lags very, very far behind on this, as in many other things. Countries like Denmark, Sweden, Norway, uh, you could argue that they have found a way to distribute wealth um, in, a, in a much more fair way than we have. Uh, we know how to do it. We, we're just led by ruthless charlatans who prefer not to. And I really think that, I don't know, I, I feel like I need to apologize for going dark, but I just think this is the truth. Uh, and I don't say it to bum anyone out. I say it because from my perspective, this is what I see happening. I think we are a larval form of life. And we have given birth to monsters. And those monsters are reaching a point where we are becoming superfluous. And, you know, as I've said many times, you've, you've heard and you've read me say this, I think that we have already created artificial beings uh, called institutions corporations they you know people are talking about well are we going to give you know artificial intelligence rights like how do we feel about giving them rights well we've already given corporations rights the supreme court has ruled that corporations have the right to free speech which takes the form of money so corporations can give unlimited money to politicians in other words corporations can own politicians they've captured the political system in the united states which is why there's no realistic uh, regulation of corporations happening. The, they've taken over um, and they've convinced a significant portion of the public that the government is their enemy. And so that the government cannot be trusted or relied upon to protect them. And so they need to protect themselves. And they've got this fantasy that they can protect themselves with an AR-15 uh, and they don't understand that bullets don't stop plastic microparticles in the water or toxic chemicals in the air 
um, or fucking Apache helicopters. So the erosion of human rights and quality of life in this country is significant and accelerating. And people have been convinced that the thieves are their friends and, and their friends are the thieves. And so I don't really see how it's going to get better. But back to the question of uh, artificial intelligence, in a blog post in 2017, Sam Altman, who uh, was the CEO of OpenAI, I don't know if he still is or not, it's one of the, the main um, companies working on artificial intelligence. He wrote this, a popular topic in Silicon Valley is talking about what year humans and machines will merge, also known as the singularity. Or if not, what year humans will get surpassed by rapidly improving AI or genetically enhanced species? Most guesses seem to fall somewhere between 2025 and 2075. Although the merge has already begun, Altman says, it's going to get a lot weirder. We'll be the first species ever to design our own descendants. My guess is that we can either be the biological bootloader for digital intelligence and then fade into an evolutionary tree branch, or we can figure out what a successful merge would look like. So what I understand him to be saying is that our options are either upload our intelligence into the technological realm and then fade away as a species, which seems to be what we're doing or take control and figure out what a successful merging of biology and technology would look like. <clears throat> and the thing is, I don't see evidence that we are capable as a species of making decisions. You know, you hear this a lot in, in the rhetoric. Um, you know, we decided as a species, we decided to adopt agriculture or, you know, we decided to uh, eradicate, you know, war or something like that. We, it, that's a mis, misperception and, and a, a misstatement. Species don't decide things. It could even be argued that herds don't decide things. Packs don't decide things. I don't know. I guess, you know, hunter-gatherer bands decide things. But a herd of animals, there's, there's all sorts of research into this. Like, how do they decide where to go and when to walk and how to move? It's not that there's one leader, generally. It depends on the animal, of course. But, you know, something like, you know, wildebeests or Cape buffalo or... Uh, you know, antelopes or something. There's not one alpha male or alpha couple that says, okay, today we're going to the river and everyone just follows them. There's some kind of emergent intelligence that makes a large collection of individuals act as one. And there's no one individual within that collection that is responsible for this. It's something that happens in some kind of mystical rule of the universe sense, like almost a gravitational uh, field 
and no one really understands it. Have you ever seen a, a flock of starlings? I think it's called a murmuration of starlings where they just, it's like a cloud of, of three-dimensional dance just going through the sky and up and down around it and twirling within itself. There's no choreography to that. That just happens. And I think that's what's happening with humans. I argue this in Civilized to Death, that we are swarming. And we won't stop swarming until whatever caused the swarm, the conditions that result in the swarm, no longer exist. That's how the swarm ends. It doesn't end because some locusts say, let's not swarm. Let's, you know, we need to stop swarming before it's too late. That's not what happens. It goes on until it is too late. And I I feel like all this talk about, you know, we need to change. We need to recycle. We need to, um, you know, be vegetarians and or, or do this or do that is is well-intentioned and I certainly don't want to take the wind out of anyone's sails. I think that it's very meaningful to feel that your life is oriented in the right way. But I also feel like, you know, we're maneuvering our positions as we rush down a river. Um, and the river is the overwhelming force here. And I'm not saying we shouldn't orient ourselves in the river to avoid rocks or to get a better view or whatever it is to, to be closer to our friends and, and feel some kind of meaning wherever we can find it. But I don't think that uh, those actions uh, are really going to have any effect on a global historical scale. I think things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. So I guess I'm kind of a determinist in that sense. I'm reminded of this documentary I saw a few years ago uh, about this couple in the, I guess it was the 70s. They were psychologists in maybe Kansas. And they were a young couple and they were teaching at a university, I think, or, or maybe in the Animal Research Center. And they decided it would be an interesting experiment to take a baby chimp and raise her in their home. Uh, they had a little girl who was maybe a year, a year or two old at the time. And um, <clears throat> they wanted to raise this, this little infant chimpanzee with their daughter so that the chimp could, you know, learn to be human and see how much human nurturing would affect the sort of life trajectory of this chimpanzee. And I think they named the chimp like Gnome Chimpsky. I could be mixing that up with another chimp story, but I think, I think this is the same situation. A joke about Gnome Chomsky, the great linguist. Uh, anyway, so they take this chimp home and they're raising the chimp. The chimp's got a little bed and, you know, they eat breakfast with the chimp and the chimp comes to the table and da, da, da. Anyway, it's a really good documentary. Highly recommended. I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere. But what ends up happening is this chimp gets older. Uh, and when the chimp becomes adolescent, 
It's like pure id, right? It's pure it's sexual desire. It like it's a female and she's like super into the husband to the point where she gets jealous and attacks the wife when she's around or if she sits too close to the husband on the sofa, the chimp will like jump up and get between them and uh and the chimp like figures out how to get into the liquor cabinet and will like get in there at night and like break it open and drink all the vodka and then they've got a drunk chimp in their house, which is something you definitely don't want. And one of the things that that was so interesting about it is they ended up stopping the experiment largely because the the chimp just became uncontrollable and was tearing the the house apart. But also because their daughter started acting like a chimp. They thought they were going to raise this chimp in the house and the chimp would act like a human, but what ended up happening was that their little human started acting like a chimp, started climbing up on the furniture and doing all this crazy shit. And they realized like, oh, this influence goes both ways and in fact may be going more the other way, the way we didn't anticipate. I was reminded of this by all this AI business because the narrative is that we're creating, we, we are creating AI. See, I don't think we're creating AI. I think AI is being created and we aren't deciding. You see, it's like when they first split the atom, there were some specific people who did that, right? But there were other people all over the world who were about to do it because the knowledge existed and the next step was to split the atom. But the understanding that atoms could be split and that they would emit an incredible amount of energy and that energy could be harnessed for incredible bombs or for energy production, for running factories and houses and turning on lights and all that shit. That was understood. The theory was already there. And so the research was happening. People were trying to take the next step. And we say, oh, well, Niels Bohr and Enrico Fermi and Albert Einstein, they figured it out, right? But if they hadn't, there were other guys half a step behind them and women who understood what needed to be done and were about to do it. So I don't buy this great man theory of history where, you know, if Einstein hadn't figured out the special theory of relativity, quantum mechanics never would have been articulated and none of this stuff would have happened. No, I don't believe that at all. I think if Einstein hadn't done it, someone else would have done it three months later, six months later. Because science progresses upon a discernible path. Unlike, I don't know if this is true of art. I mean, I think sometimes somebody does something in artistically that's like, holy shit, where did that come from? I don't see the steps that led from there to here. Like Picasso might be someone like that. Um, but I but I suspect that if if I had a better knowledge of, if anyone had a sufficient knowledge of art or music or, or any field, they would see how each step leads to the next and there's a sense of inevitability about it. So my point being, I don't think, you know, um, 
Elon Musk and, and others signed this letter saying we need to slow this down. We need to take a six month break. We need to stop developing AI because it's out of control. We don't know what we're doing. We're, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. That's very noble to say that, but I don't see any time in history when that's been successfully done. I don't I don't see how you're going to do that in a in a multipolar world like we have. You know, the United States has been trying to keep nuclear weaponry in a bottle for 50 years and and the cat's out of the bag to mix metaphors. Um, you can't stop. You can bomb Iran every time they develop research sufficient to take the next step. But they have the knowledge. They've got the books. They've got the formulas. Everybody's got the knowledge. It's just a question of building the facility. And I think it's the same with AI. How are you going to stop China from doing it? How are you going to stop a group of people funded by Saudi billionaires who set up a laboratory in Congo? How, how are you going to stop everybody from doing this? We know how to do it. And it's been happening for years. Why do you think Gmail gives you free email accounts? Because everything you write, everything that anyone writes to you is fed into this giant cognitive vacuum that sucks up the way words go together, that sucks up the way ideas go together, that sucks up the way people joke with one another or flirt with one another. It's learning how humans behave and communicate and think. And that's worth enough to these companies that they'll give you free email accounts and free online storage and all your photos because they're sucking up the photos too. So this technology has been learning how to be human or at least mimic being human for a long time now. And there's no way to get that genie back in the bottle. So I think the narrative, getting back to the, the point about the chimp and the, and the girl, is the narrative is that we've created this thing that is learning to be like us so it can you know be our companion and our sex partner and our friend and our doctor and you know, create Drake songs and whatever the fuck else it does. But I feel like the unspoken narrative is that we are becoming like it. We are becoming more and more machine-like. How much time do you spend alone in a room interacting with a machine? How much time do you spend communicating even with other humans through a machine. How many of our romantic relationships are mitigated by machines? How many couples have met each other through a logarithm that suggested they meet each other? People don't go anywhere without their phones anymore. They can't imagine. They don't know how to read maps. They don't know how to talk to strangers. They are becoming machine-like. We are becoming machine-like. And you could take it all the way back to eyeglasses or pacemakers or artificial hips or 
you know, dental fillings or whatever. We've been merging technologically. We've been merging with the material world forever, probably. But it's accelerated to the point now where it's becoming difficult to know what is human and what isn't, especially when the non-human is so well informed as to how humans act and behave um, that it becomes indistinguishable. And we don't know what's real, who's real, and who isn't. Some of us right now are arguing with people on Twitter who aren't people. They're bots. Very strange. If by chance you've never seen a show called Black Mirror, holy fuck, I recommend it. It's really good. It's a few years old now, um, but it gets into these questions of what's happening next with technology uh, in a very interesting way. It's kind of, I don't know, those of you who are old timers like me might remember vaguely what was it called? Twilight Zone. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's like, okay, let's imagine this thing that we already have is just tweaked a little bit this way or a little bit that way. And, and what would happen? Really interesting show. If you find it and you want to check out some episodes, I highly recommend White Christmas uh, starring John Hamm. Um, there's another one called, um, hang the DJ, which is about a dating app. Really interesting season four, episode four. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, San Junipero, San Junipero. Fascinating. That's season three, episode four. Um, yeah, fantastic. I, I don't even want to tell you anything about these episodes because they're just so interesting. Um, and if those three don't hook you, then forget it. Go watch something else. Speaking of which, you can watch me in conversation with uh, Brian Callen. Apparently he released, I, I went to LA a couple months ago and we recorded a podcast and um he released it on YouTube. I didn't know that he had. He didn't tell me. And um, uh, I kind of didn't ask him about it because, honestly, I assumed that he decided not to release it because we ended up talking about some pretty intense stuff <clears throat> like child molesters and a lot of, you know, sexual repression and it got into some deep waters. And when I left there, I thought, you know, Brian's a comedian. I don't know that he really, I mean, we enjoyed the conversation and, and, you know, we, we connect as individuals, but I don't know if that's really what he was looking for, for as far as podcast goes. Um, but it turns out he did upload it. I didn't know. He, he never told me and I didn't ask him. So I just sort of forgot about it. And I got an email today from someone saying, hey, I just saw your Brian Callen uh, conversation. That was really interesting. How come you don't promote it? So I'm promoting it. It's uh, the Brian Callen podcast, and the title is Sexual Repression in America with Chris Ryan. So I would encourage you to check that out. 
if that's your cup of tea, talking about various kinds of perversion. All right, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, I do remember I mentioned Freddie DeBoer and his contention that um, this was just another AI is like another Y2K, just another tempest in a teapot. No big deal. It's going to turn out to be nothing. The problem with that analysis is that sometimes it is something. Sometimes the sky is falling. Sometimes shit is hitting the fan. And I think that we're going to look back at this period or future generations, if there are any, will look back at this period and say, yeah, that really was a fucking crazy pivotal time. You know, sometimes asteroids do strike. Sometimes super volcanoes do blow. Sometimes shit gets really heavy and changes radically, really quickly. Civilizations collapse and massive change takes place. Species go extinct. It happens. And so to just sort of scoff and say, oh, you know, every generation thought that they had some world-ending calamity to worry about, whether it's, you know, the second coming of Jesus or the, you know, four horsemen of the apocalypse or the Soviets or, you know, overpopulation or whatever, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, it's true that there have been false alarms, but, you know, what do they say? The broken clock is right twice a day, right? And the last bit of news I'll leave you with is Rick Beato has invited me to go to Atlanta to be on his show. I mean, maybe I'm misunderstanding the nature of the invitation. He shows about music. He interviews Sting and, you know, the guitarist from Queen. And, you know, his last interview I just listened to last night was with Chuck Rainey, this legendary bass player played with Chick Corea and um, Steely Dan and so many different bands. Amazing musician, really cool dude. So I don't know how I would fit into that pantheon of interview subjects, um, but it's worth flying to fucking Atlanta to do it. Um, just because I think Rick is one of the coolest guys around. And although my imposter syndrome will be on uh, full throttle the whole time, I still think it might be really fun just to go hang out. And... All right, I'm going to say goodbye now. I'm going to leave you with a tune called Morning in America by Duran Jones and the Indications... I think the song captures, in many ways, the historical moment we're going through where it's like, from one perspective, it's the most amazing, incredible, uh, almost science fictional time to be alive in a good way. And in another sense, we're living through one of the most desperate, lonely uh, ill, I wanted to say sick, but, but I mean physically ill uh, times in our history. And I mean human history. So in any case, it's highly significant and it's pretty fucking wild and uh, strap in, we're going on a wild ride, as the AI version of me put it. Morning in America, Duran Jones and the Indications. Thanks for listening, everybody. Sending a lot of love out to all you humans. It's still in San Diego. You can.
Screaming 